0: Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill A time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be, already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you for your word. It is so very precious to us. Instruct us, I pray. Open our hearts to receive it. And God, bear your fruit through your word. We ask in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen time. We talk a lot about time, whether or not we notice it. In fact, we've got all sorts of phrases that, that factor time into it. We can talk about killing time, or maybe buying time, maybe doing time. We've got other phrases. Time is money. Time slipping away or time stops for no one. Time sneaks into our conversation a lot. We are far from the first people to think about or talk about time. Mankind has grappled with the concept of time throughout the centuries. History is littered with philosophers and priests trying to make sense of time. While so many thought about time philosophically, it gets real practical when we feel like somebody else is wasting our time Just think about your last traffic jam when we think about time we might also be reminded that our time is limited our time in a day is limited and our number of days are limited each one of us has a certain amount of time to walk this planet we can feel powerless at the sound of time's marching boots. And the preacher in our text today considers time. But he doesn't do it in an abstract, philosophical way. He lays out before us a picture of the changing times and seasons under heaven. And he points to the one who changes those seasons. Our Heat Academy lesson number three is this. God appoints times, and man can only respond. Again, God appoints times, and man can only respond. We're going to walk through these first 15 verses here and see, one, a time for everything. Second, we're going to see the God who appoints times. And third, we're going to see humanity's right response. See, first, a time for everything. In verse 1, the preacher tells us that there is a time and a season for everything under heaven. That expression, under heaven, is really the equivalent of uh, under the sun. I'm talking about the same thing here. Life under the sun is full of changing seasons. He goes on to make a list of 14 sets of those different those changing seasons here as he goes on first we're going to see there's a time to be born and a time to die the preacher starts with the basics of life under the under the sun in this first set one thing that unites all of us in this room is that we were all born it's probably a mercy that we can't remember that we have all been born There's a time for people to be born, and there is a time for people to die. Every person alive at the time of the writing of this book has since died. Although many people have fought against death, death has been keeping up a pretty good score. Legend has it that Ponce de Leon sought the fountain of youth, but he founded Florida instead. Silicon Valley has devoted a a good amount of time and money to trying to conquer death. Peter Thiel, the co-founder of PayPal, told Business Insider in 2012 that, death is a problem that can be solved. They're still working on it. But as the preacher tells us here, there is both a time to be born and a time to die. Under the sun, we see both realities and we have no more control over our own birth than over the long-term prevention of our own death. The preacher tells us that there are both of these times and that they happen. Second he moves on to see a time to plant and a time to uproot what has been planted. He moves from the realm of the life of people to the life of plants. In the city we're removed from the bulk of our food production But that was not the case for the original readers. For a a society with a lot of farmers, planting and harvest would have been about as sure as birth and death. Now, The uprooting of some plants is the process of harvest. You might think of something like onions or potatoes. But other things, even after their harvest, they have to be cleared out so the ground is ready for a new crop. So we see both ends of this, the, the planting and the harvest cycle here. Well, now, while this is talking about food primarily, I can't resist the reference to planting on this last day that we have Shalom Community Church with us. Uh, Jubilee has been praying and waiting and watching to know when that time is for us to plant a new church. We have longed to see the planting of oaks of righteousness in our neighborhood and beyond. And by God's grace, Shalom Community Church has been growing up in our midst. And we are more than excited to see a time of planting. We are excited to watch the sowing of the good seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ in North Minneapolis through Shalom. May Jesus plant his church. May he establish it firm and may he make it fruitful for his glory. And may he find Shalom faithful to him on that day that he returns to take his bride. The preacher moves on to his third set. He talks about a time to kill and a time to heal. The first two sets have focused on the natural course of life. Now he moves to an intervention. There's a time to bring an early death and there's a time to stop an uh, an early death. Capital punishment was not given to individuals to exercise, either in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. Romans 13 says that the authorities have been given the power of the sword. That's not for an individual to do. There's a time to kill, but there's also a time to heal. There's a time to intervene to save a life. The preacher tells us that under the sun there are occasions for both. Fourth, there's a time to break down and a time to build up. This could refer to city walls. Like that, the breaking down of a city's defenses or the repairing of a city's defenses. Or perhaps this is related to a building or something along those lines. Fifth and sixth, we see that there are times for weeping and laughing. There are times for mourning and for dancing. The preacher points out that there are times for literally rolling on the floor laughing. And there are times for laying on the floor weeping. Times so heavy that you are seized with grief and mourning. Times so lighthearted that you are seized with delight and have to celebrate. Life under the sun finds us moving from one of these to the other frequently. People get surprised by suffering because they don't get this. Life is not all laughter. A time for mourning is coming. A time, a season of tears is appointed. And people give up in the darkness because they don't see this. If life continues, a time of laughter is coming. Seasons do change. Under the sun, we will find both times of mourning and laughter and dancing and weeping. We we see the seasons change out. Seventh, there's a time to cast away stones, and there's a a time to gather stones together. In that day, a lot of things were constructed out of stone and mortar. So the idea of gathering stones might be for building something up. And then the opposite, something being deconstructed, and those stones being thrown away so it couldn't be easily rebuilt. Maybe think of what Jesus says about the day that's coming in which the temple will be torn down and not one stone will be left on another. Eighth we see there is a time for embracing, and a time to refrain from embracing. We might wish that all of our relationships would always be all hugs and happiness, but that is just not the case under the sun. In any relationship, there are times that are easier, and then there are those other times. As John Erickson advised me going into marriage, there will be days when not even a walk in the park is a walk in the park. This is true of all of our relationships. Sometimes it's easier and sometimes it ain't. The night set deserves to be etched into the doorpost of my family's house. We have a, a time to seek and a time to lose. Last week when Lewis was talking about the missing pat, pacifier, I thought for a moment he was preaching directly to my family. feels like it's always a time to lose and then a time to seek around the Dexter house. Life under the sun is marked by both. Tenth, we see a time to keep, and a time to cast away. Eleventh, there's a time to sew, or a time to tear, and then a, a time to rend. I love the old English in the KJV. It, it says just that. It's a time to rend, not a, not a time to tear. And if you're really getting into it, you might rend something asunder. Well, there, there's a time to tear fabric. Uh, perhaps this is in the case of grief, when people would, would tear their clothes, but either way, he, he's showing us uh, opposites here. Under the sun, there's a time for both of these. In 12, preacher tells us that there's a time to keep silence and a time to speak. Solomon in Proverbs 17:28 says, Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. Mark Twain goes a little further and says, It's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. There are times that the best thing to say is nothing. And there are times that we must speak. Like when we have to advocate for the weak. Like when we have to speak into the life of a friend who's making destructive decisions. There's a time to speak and there's a time to keep silent. Thirteenth, there's a time to love and a time to hate. It is fitting to love what is good and hate what is evil. Under the sun, we do not live in a world free of hate. What we love and what we hate speaks volumes about us. Fourteenth and lastly, there is a time for war and a time for peace. Times of peace are followed by times of war. It may be a time of peace now, but war finds its way into the life of nations sooner or later. In all fourteen of these sets, the preacher has shown us that there is a time for everything under heaven. It may be one season, but it will turn to another. And as hard as we might try to keep ourselves in one season that we might like, another one is coming. And this provokes a question for the preacher in verse 9. The preacher is going to turn now and consider the one who changes the seasons. And we should see what we should learn from that. So let's see in verses 9 to 11 and 14 to 15, the God who appoints times. Let's look at that question in verse 9. What gain has the worker from his toil? Now he asked that question in light of the eight verses that have come before. This is not the first time he's asked a question like this. Remember in in chapter 1... Verses two to fifteen. He asks the same thing in three. I'll start in verse two, though. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All, uh, excuse me. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What gain has the worker? Excuse me. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. And he goes on. In Ecclesiastes 2, 18-23, as we saw last week, he goes even further into depth talking about this question of work and and what do we gain from it. As we press into chapter 3, the preacher turns his focus to time, but he has not departed from his theme. While While he acknowledges the appropriateness of their being seasons, I think he also sees vanity in this. And I think for us, he is continuing to deconstruct our false hopes. He's pointing out how futile it is for us to put our hope in our current circumstances. Times are always changing. Whatever you spend your life doing, it can just as easily be undone. Time will continue on, and we don't know if tomorrow brings laughter or weeping. We don't know if what we've built will be torn down. It's kind of dismal. And I think the preacher, having seen this, is is driven to that. But he also doesn't simply leave us in that mess. In light of the changing times, the preacher looks up to the one who changes those times. Remember, our our third Heat Academy lesson here is that God appoints time and man can only respond. The changing seasons of this world are not spun out by the blind wheel of fate. There is an eternal, personal God who directs times and seasons. The changing seasons may be out of our control, but that doesn't mean that they're out of God's control. The preacher goes on to tell us how to think about the changing times in light of the God who is at work in them. As we press on here in, in, back in chapter 3, verse uh, 9 to 15, we're going to jump around a little bit here. Let's, let's look down at verse 9 to see the first thing I think he's pointing out here. He's, the preacher tells us that God has made everything beautiful in its time. God works beauty in His timing. The immediate may look ugly, but the ultimate will be beauty. Our current snapshot in life may not be pretty, but it is a necessary part of the beauty that God is working in our lives on His timing. Further, we can see from this passage that God's work and timing cannot be altered. Verses 14 to 15, let's read it again. He says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been and that which is to be already has been and God seeks what has been driven away. God's work endures forever. What we build may be torn down But that's not ever true of God's work. The changing of the seasons do not bring God's work to nothing. In fact, he unfolds his plan throughout the centuries. And his plans and his purposes are always effective. His work cannot be added to or taken away from. While people or Satan himself might try to force God's hand and manipulate him, God's plans will be carried out exactly on his schedule. Even people's evil intentions will be folded into the beautiful narrative that God is telling. Further in verse 15, we see that what currently is and what will be in the future have both already been. This is stated in the context of God working in time. I believe that this is pointing to the constancy of God's work. As we saw in the changing seasons of verse 1 to 8. The seasons change and they come back again. They have been and will be again. What will be is and, an, excuse me, what will be also has already been. Then last we see there's a, a final note of God pursuing what's been driven away. I have to admit that this is a, a difficult phrase for me to understand. I'm inclined to interpret the statement in light of what follows in, in verses 16 through uh, 22 here. He's speaking about God's judgment. In in verse 17 he says, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked for there is a time for every matter and every work. I think this is a reference, potentially this is people as they're going about life may be hiding their wicked deeds from themselves and from others and yet God will seek that out at the end and he will draw it into light. So then we would potentially then have a, a whole picture of the changing of the seasons of life and the end of it and that God is in control over it. Through verses 11 and 14 to 15, we see that the preacher is instructing us about the God who is appointing and directing our times. God works beauty through his timing. God's plans are unalterable. And he is effective in doing what he wants, when he wants. As we take all of this in, we should ask, what can we learn from this? What should be our response? I think we should turn now third to humanity's right response. From this passage, the whole passage here, I think there are three things that we should think and do in response to what we've learned. I think first, we should ponder the work of God and acknowledge our inability to know it fully in this time. The second part of verse 11 says, Also he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I believe that in this context, when it says he has put eternity in man's heart, I think this is referring to man's God-given ability to engage with the eternal. We have been given this kind of capacity We've been made in the image of God and we've been, to, we've been made to engage in God's ways and to, to think about it and to grapple with this eternal God even though we live in this changing time. If God is eternal, personal, and is making everything beautiful in its time, then we as his creature should seek that out. Proverbs 25.2 says, it is the glory of God to conceal things but the glory of kings to seek them out. We do not live in a random world of chaos in which things happen without meaning. A personal God works to complete His purposes. God has made us with a capacity to ponder His ways and through that to see His goodness and His kindness and His faithfulness to us. Are you looking with anticipation to see His goodness in your life? He will show it. We should seek God's face and ponder His ways as we consider the events of our lives. At the same time, we're not going to figure it all out. We can come to the end of our lives and look back and we're not going to be able to draw out on a piece of paper and make sense of every single thing that happened. There's a part of the futility of this life after the fall that we're not going to piece it all together. There are some things that are simply hidden to us. And we will have to resign that to God. We will have to wait for eternity to see it all. This lack of total comprehension could lead us to despair if we demand from God that he had better show it to us now. But but that's where we have to let God be God and trust in his timing. He is working beauty in all things in his timing. Now we might say that this is all good and well if we know that God is for us but is it possible that the painful and confusing realities in our lives point to the fact that God is actually set against us maybe the hard things in our lives point to the fact that God hates us or that he's doing us harm now and there's more harm to come at this point this is where we need to look above the sun as Lewis said sun being S-U-N, we've been looking below the sun or under the sun, we have to look above the sun and see God's work unfolding throughout the centuries. For the believer in Jesus Christ, we know that the changing seasons of this life are never to our harm, because Christ has taken the harm that we deserved upon Himself. He has taken the wrath of God that is reserved for us. We do not... Run into God's wrath against us in this life. We're reminded that at the cross, it was a time for war, God's war against sin. And it was a time for peace, God making peace with his rebellious people. At the cross, it was a time for love, as God's love was on display. And it was a time for hate. As sin was exposed for the travesty that it truly is. It was a time for silence as the Son of God was led like a mute lamb to the slaughter. And it was a time to speak, as he said, that it is finished. The cross was a time of rending as Jesus' spirit was rent from his body. And it turned to a time of sowing in the resurrection where he rose never to die again. God, who directs times, has appointed a time for us to be redeemed and adopted. The one who appoints and directs our times, he is our heavenly father. His appointment in our lives are always good, even those that include weeping. I'd like to address some of this application specifically to Shalom again since you're with us here today. My brothers and sisters, Shalom, don't be surprised by laughter or weeping. There will be a time for both in your life as a church family. Don't be caught off guard by it. Our world is broken and you have an enemy. Pain will come and you will suffer. But suffer together in hope. Your good, heavenly Father is appointing your times. He does not allow His word to return void, and He will not deny His Son Jesus the praise that He is due. Weep and mourn together. You have been given one another in God's kindness and wisdom. And your tears at times will be the vehicle by which God will expose others to the beauty of Jesus. He is the crucified Savior as well as the risen Savior. But also laugh together. Dare I say dance together. (laughs) Enjoy this royal calling. You are the children of the King. You are His ambassadors together. Enjoy God's wise design in the way that He has put the church together as a family. Be delighted together in your God and his call to bring you together your good father is appointing your times for your good and for his glory in North Minneapolis for all of us here today as we ponder God's work and timing we must not put our ultimate hope in things that are subject to change our health will change the level of our peace and security in our house will change our finances change Even our connections to friends can change. And on and on and on. We live in a world of constant change. If you put your ultimate hope here, you will be disappointed. Put your hope in the one who changes out the seasons. He alone stays the same forever. The impermanence of this world makes our hearts ache and reach out to the eternal God. Jesus has told us that he has gone to prepare a place for us where we will have an eternal, permanent home with him. A second way this passage calls us to respond is in our work. We should labor with joy in our work. All of our work takes place within this time that God has appointed. In verse 10, the preacher says that he has seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Man carries out his work in the midst of God's changing seasons. So look again at verses 12 to 13. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. In light of the changing seasons, we can't put our ultimate hope in our work. But we should enjoy it. If we put all of our identity eggs in the basket of work, then the changing seasons will eventually fling that against the wall and crush it. And yet, he says here that work is a good gift from God. As you look back to Genesis 1 and 2, we can see that work was created before the fall. It was a part of God's good design and creation. Work itself is not a product of the curse. And yet, as we get to Genesis 3, we see that work has been tainted by the curse. Because of the entrance of sin work becomes toilsome. There's an added layer of frustration that accompanies even the best of jobs. Another question I'd want to ask at this point, could you say that you hate your job? Not just a tough patch, but you really, really hate your job. Another question that would follow that is why, why is that? Are you struggling with the -the run-of-the-mill challenges of your work? Is it the kind of frustration that's going to follow you anywhere you go? Or are you perhaps throwing yourself into a job that you are simply not wired for? If God has given work as a gift, then there should be some level of joy in it. And if not, I think we should at least explore the question of whether this job is the right fit or not. And this is where scripture and wisdom and the community of believers comes in for us. As we are thinking through that question, we should search the scriptures and discern what they say about us and about work. We should reach out to those believers that God has put in our lives and seek wisdom. And we should seek God in prayer and and seek to discern how he's wired us. Work is a good gift, but we cannot put our ultimate hope in it. We'll see third and last here, uh, a response that what we've seen here should have in us is that we should tremble before the Holy One. In verse 14, the preacher says that nothing can be added to or taken away from God's work. Then he says, God has done it so that people fear before him. As we have seen God's unchangeable ways, the preachers come to the conclusion that this should provoke in us a holy fear of this God who changes out the seasons. All of wisdom literature, which Ecclesiastes is a part of, all of wisdom literature is it sent to, to stoke the flames of our awe of God. We read multiple times that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. As we stand before this God who is directing our times, we should grow deeper in our awe of him. This is true also of the broader history of God's work for his people. As Israel looked back on its history, it should, grow, it should have grown in its awe of God. Think about the fact that God had prophesied and told Abraham that his people would be 400 years in slavery in Egypt. And it came to pass... And at the right time, God raised up Moses to deliver his people from the Egyptians. God then led his children out of Egypt and to the shores of the Red Sea. And the Egyptians pursued, and it looked like Israel had been led to its certain death. And yet, at the right time, God parted the seas, led his people through, and at the right time, closed it back up and delivered his people finally from the Egyptians. God's timing was perfect for them. And if those under the Old Covenant could see God's work and tremble before Him, how much more should we? We have a far greater view of God's working over the centuries. It was at the exact right time, Galatians 4, 4 tells us, at the fullness of time that Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. Paul says say in Romans 5, 6, and it was while we were still weak, at the right time that Christ died for the ungodly. He has worked his salvation through the plan of the centuries. Our God controls times and seasons. If he can direct those seasons to bring about our salvation, then how much more can he appoint and direct our times to do us good? He works his timing so that his people would stand in awe before him as we see it. As we come to an end now, we see that God appoints times and man can only respond. And we see the response that he calls from us here. This great God is the one who appoints and directs our times for our good. He is our Heavenly Father through his Son, Jesus Christ. Jubilee and Shalom, God is appointing your time entrust yourselves to the one who makes all things beautiful in its time. He is working his unstoppable plan to produce beauty in your life. May those around us see the beauty of Christ through us as God works. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It is so precious. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Lord, we need you today. Increase our delight of you even as we look to you and wait on you and trust in you. Thank you. We bless you. ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.